0: Hey y'all, real quick before we get into this podcast, I want to give a short update about our Patreon page. I'm not going to lie, I feel a little guilty about collecting contributions during what amounted to about three months of very sparse content. I didn't deactivate the Patreon page because the hiatus was unplanned. We even recorded a few episodes during it that just never got edited and released. I'll work hard to someday put out a lost tape episode or two. If you're one of our generous backers that feels at all unhappy or worse, ripped off, then just shoot me a PM on Discord and I'm happy to refund you in full for those three months. That said, the contributions we have received have gone to good use. Most importantly, we were able to get Dan a new office chair. Maybe astute listeners have noticed the odd creaking noise in the background of one of our episodes. If not, that is a tribute to literal hours of editing out this unwanted background noise. I'm so relieved I don't have to do that anymore. We also used Patreon money to offer prize support to the Glorious Few Keyforge tournament, which turned into a huge community event, casted out to over 160 simultaneous viewers on Twitch. And lastly, we were able to reimburse Alex for Keyforge RPG books in order to run a campaign with the Genesis system set in the Keyforge world that we're hoping to begin playing and recording soon. So thank you so much to our 12 Patreon backers. A special shout out to our newest backer, Robert, for making all this possible. If you're a listener at all interested in supporting our continued Keyforge content, you can find more info at our Patreon page, which is linked in the show notes below. I'm also currently posting a short piece of writing every day about each deck that I open for my box of mass mutation. Those articles are all public posts, so you don't need to be a backer to read them. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. Okay, on with the show.
1: Welcome to Sanctimonious,
2: a Keyforge podcast where three zealous Keyforge players
1: discuss various topics concerning combat within the Crucible. Stand at attention and salute your hosts, Sir Jake, Sir Alex, and Sir Dan.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Sanctimonious. This is your co-hosts Jake, Alex, and Dan, and I think we are officially on a roll Yep.
1: <laughs> two weeks in a row. I mean, <laughs> holy smokes, look out. Up and killing it.
2: Look out. Maybe it'll be three. Let's not get
0: ahead of ourselves, yeah, Stan. Yeah. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't go crazy now. We'll have a lot of Mass Mutation to be playing. I don't know if I'll be able to be bothered for a week or so. This week, uh, we are recording this two days before the release of Mass Mutation, so... Dun, dun, uh, dun. Don't have those cards yet in our hands to be talking about, so... Uh, I expect we'll have mass mutation content coming up in the future cast following this. Uh, But instead, we decided to do a send-off to Worlds Collide. And the way we're uh, trying to do something a little different, the way we've chosen to do this, is we've each coming up with a list of our top five best designed cards and our top five worst designed cards. And we left that a little bit open to each host's interpretation. So this is not strictly the five best cards or the five worst cards. Yeah, so that's the idea. And we'll get started with our top five worst designed cards in Worlds Clyde. Do we have any comments from y'all before we dive right into this main topic? No, let's do it. Uh, Worlds
2: Collide was fun. I liked it. I like like the meta that, you know, kind of came of Worlds Collide, a little bit of a slowed down meta, kind of put Coda in check a little bit. It's nice. Made AOA decks actually decent again.
1: Yeah,
0: they had time to kind of accomplish the game plan. All right, well, enough of the rose-colored glasses. We're, we're going to get started with the worst cards. The worst designed cards are bottom five. So we're going to do this starting with each of us giving our fifth. So the fifth worst designed card in the set. And I will go first on this first round. So number five, I think it has to be Soul Fiddle. The Dis Artifact that has action enrage target creature and the reason this card is just such an atrocious design is that it's just an obsoleted version of ire staff which is another card in the very same set that gives an amber pip and can be used offensively or defensively so i just see no reason whatsoever for this card existing and on top of all that it's just terrible
2: yeah i mean i kind of felt that way at first but it it was when it was handy it was handy and you didn't give them the plus one power counter when you used it. So it was kind of nice. It was just kind of a nice bonus to calling disc to say, hey, that play fight reap dude you have, you actually have to fight with it. And I've got my greater Oxet that is like plus 12 power now. That's the only thing you can swing at. So good luck.
0: All right. Well, it's an oddly specific example, but okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the one deck I have it in that I've played. All right. I'll go next. My number five is Good Book should have been more like um, <laughs> It discards a card. It's an untamed card. You probably didn't know what it is because it's an untamed, uncommon, not uncommon enough. Uh, but destroy, discard the top card of your deck. It's 5 power. If it is a creature, after Gibbuk loves leaves play, put that creature into play in Gebuk's position in the battle line. So at first I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, but then I learned that you don't actually get the play effect of said creature that you're bringing in. And it's just... It's discarding a card every single time. So if you're, like, digging for a card and he dies... And it gets rid of your Miasma... Or whatever card that you're actually looking for... It's so good. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean... I don't know. I I kind of... This one... I I don't... I'm not that harsh on Gebuk... Because he just... I mean, at least he does something. That's, like... Like, he's at least a five-strength guy. And sometimes... Like, sometimes it's super terrible but sometimes i've lost to good pulling something insane uh so i there there's like a it, it has a it has a high roll potential at least which is why i'm not too hard on it uh and it's it, it's it's fun it's like a fun card but at least it feels key for g it feels very key forgy, g but i respect your i respect that it's on your list Giddy-yuck. all right my Number five, worst card, is uh, actually sort of a range of cards. Uh, so it is the procedural... Uh, me- I included them together, Megas and Brews. Um, mega is gives your... You can have a Mega, mega Brobnar creature, which gets plus two strength. If you have a Mega Brobnar creature, you also get a Brew, which is a uh, one Amber Pip action, give a creature plus two strength. Um, this just... Ends up not mattering ever. Tuesday. Stra- I mean, there's like certain ones that I mean, getting the mega creatures. I will actually say, if you could just get a mega creature, I would be better. I would actually be more a fan of this. But because you have to get a brew, which I think brews are just it's fine, but not good. And honestly, the reason I chose this for a bad, design, I just like hate it. I just like, I just don't think, I just don't think it's interesting or fun, or this is like what you want to do with with procedural generation at all. I'm, I can mention this because it's not on any of our lists, but I will say that Blasters is a lot closer to what I think you want um, procedural generation to look like because every blaster has a unique effect, which is fun and interesting um some blasters are better than other blasters which is okay but at least some of them do like extra good things whereas brews are just they all do the same thing which is a very
0: mediocre and uninteresting effect yeah now that you mention it like why the hell don't the brews do something different like wouldn't
1: that have been cool like they could have done like ganger's brew which read ready and fight with a creature
0: (laughs) That would have been super cool. And shorties does something like Assault or I don't know. Yeah, they they gain
1: Assault 2 or Assault 3 or something. Or, you know, like they they could have made it so interesting and they just chose to make it super boring.
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay. I was kind of going to be like, well, you know, at least there's some interesting thing with procedural generation. But now that you've mentioned that, it does come across just as very lazy (laughs) design.
1: Get an action Amber pit card. You know what it feels like is when you're writing a paper and you just start like, adding in fluff words because you're like i gotta get to the end of this paper and i just need some like bulk um so that's what it feels like they did at the end of the set they're just like we really need to fill out like eight cards and we don't really have any ideas so we'll just like do this whole thing with procedural generation and we'll just kind of fill out the set
0: (laughs) all right all right so that is our five so on to round four dan you want to start us off this time for number four so this one shows up in somebody else's list as well. All right, we'll cover that when it comes up later on. All right, my number four is
1: Auto-Legionary, a Sarian Artifact. You can, as an action, make it become a creature, which is five strength and represents all houses. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm going to notice a trend in in why I dislike cards. I, I think that this, I, what I'll say about Auto-Legionary is it's a cool idea but the fact that it is a artifact and not an Omni makes it so slow that you can't and that you can't really do anything cool with it. There are some cool combos that you could set up with Auto Legionary, but they chose to make it a non-omni artifact, and I mean, it just ends up being a detriment to your deck a lot of times because, hey, guess what? All your opponents' cards that care about multiple houses being being present can also trigger off your auto legionary so like that's why if it were an omni you could like you could control it a little bit better but because you can't control it it just ends up being a very mediocre like slow card
2: Um, I know Burnside from the discord has an amazing auto legionary deck where it has like two copies of zap and xeno training so it just captures like seven and does like maximum damage
0: every time it's pretty gross all right. My number four, so the fourth worst design in Worlds Collide is without a doubt Quixel Stone. I just really I love Quixel Stone. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this one might be a little bit controversial. Uh, this is the one that's an artifact that says uh, you cannot play creatures if you control more creatures than your opponent. So it just fundamentally changes the game. And in many cases, in like a good Quixel Stone deck, just like Completely turns off so many of your opponent's <laughs> cards. Uh, that so is fun. just like, we're not even really playing the game. I know this is like right up your alley, Dan. That's
2: exactly the kind of card I love. I should have probably put it in my top five.
0: Resident fan of Heart of the Forest, but I just generally don't like the prison style of decks that just, you know, prevent your opponent from playing the game. I feel like that's not fun and engaging gameplay. And Quixel Stone is the biggest offender in Worlds Collide.
2: Agree to disagree.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't
1: mind like change the game style um, artifacts. I think they're actually can be interesting, but I do agree with um, Quixelstone is it suffers from, uh, it just creates a very uninteresting gameplay. I think it's not like speed, speed sigil makes the game go faster, which so even if you lose because of speed sigil, at least the, you don't have to sit there for like, you know, 45 minutes while you just like are struggling to do anything. And that's why I just don't like that that, that Quixelstone creates a game state that might be very fun for one pl- I mean and this happens <laughs> I mean this happens for, but it's like almost every <laughs> single time that Stone comes out right is it creates uninteresting unfun gameplay for at least one no, of the players the exact opposite
2: <laughs> it's super interesting for both players because like if you're not playing the Stone deck then you have to think all right what creatures in my deck are actually worth playing at this point what do I have to like what, how do I dance around this artifact? Oh, I love it! I love playing with it and against it.
1: I just wish that there was more like back and forth with it. I wish that it wasn't an artifact. There is back and forth. Like an it kind of it depends on what of. you
2: do on your turn. Like if you play a creature that allows your opponent to play maybe one or two creatures. If you don't play any creatures, maybe they can't play any creatures. There's a but ton of back and forth.
1: Here's the thing: like if if you're playing a good Quixel Stone deck you should you should just have like you should just not have that many creatures and so you can just set like as the person who chooses the Stone deck you're inherently advantaged because you chose that deck for a reason right it ha- it can make advantage of the Stone where a lot of decks actually can't do that no matter how hard they try if i only ever play two creatures for the whole game you're just you are just stuck. It doesn't matter what you do. You're probably gonna lose if you're a creature based deck. So that, that's what I don't like. And I don't especially like because artifact control is so limited.
0: All right. So a little bit of disagreement there, which is awesome. I love to see it. Uh, feel free to pop in our Discord, which is always linked at the bottom of the episode, to let us know where you stand on Quixel Stone. The worst design, or, you know, as Dan's arguing, a pretty good one. So let's let's get to number three, our first crossover.
2: Yep. Deepwood Druid. Oh, such a meh card. Um so creature, deploy. Deploy's fun. So let's see what this play reap ability is. Fully heal a neighboring creature. Womp womp. I guess you can heal your gebuch so you don't destroy it and destroy <laughs> your card. Um I don't know. Like it's just untamed, like they don't really have any big creatures that you really care about, like fully healing. So I mean I guess you're hoping you maybe have big taunt like Saryans or something or the yeah probably just the big taunt saurians like the Sarian, I guess he pairs well with lists. but even then you're just not that excited to see him like fully healing a creature is not super super exciting, really.
0: You can play him with yeah. the big Brobnar boards, you know that's pretty sweet, yeah <laughs> yeah. <all laughs>
1: I feel like, I mean, honestly, Jake, you joke about that, but I feel like that's kind of what they were thinking. It's like, Untamed will go so good with Bravnar, <laughs> and then nobody played Bravnar, and so uh, yeah. Deepwood Druid is just like sad in the corner. Uh, yeah, I mean, Deepwood Druid, just a lame card. We could just be honest. It's just doesn't, I think, healing. Okay, so here's the thing I'm very low on the mechanic of healing in general in Keyforge, because if you think about how Keyforge fights work typically, most of the time people are not fighting and leaving a creature damaged stuff like this only works if there's a lot of incidental damage in a particular set so like I actually feel like healing might be slightly better in uh, mass mutations because of uh damage icons uh, because there'll be a lot of just random one or two damage pings and suddenly like maybe that healing matters but even in that case it's just It's like fighting. It's like you just get so little benefit from it
0: usually that it doesn't matter. Yep. All right. So that was Deepwood Druid, Dan's fourth least favorite design, and Alex's third.
2: Can I do my third now? Yeah, please. So salt. Why? (laughs) Just why? Amber Pip, when you get it, when you play it, it's an alpha card because, I mean, this is way too powerful to not be an alpha card. (laughs) Um, Play, until the start of your next turn, creatures cannot reap. So because it's alpha, you can't reap either. And I mean, it's not like there's any dinosaurs with good reap abilities or anything. Um, <laughs> wait, there's a ton of them. <laughs> I want to reap, dang it. Um, yeah, every, yeah. This this card, like, it's in one of my good decks, and it just—it's so sad. Like every blue moon, like some, every once in a while, maybe you don't have a Saurian creature out, and you can play this. And really stick it to your opponent with their, like, two or three creatures on board from a single house. Like, it's just, uh, it's, just it's it feels sad. It feels bad. If it wasn't alpha, like, if it was not alpha, I think it would be okay. Because you could play it at the end of your turn, after you did all of your reaping and shenanigans. But in a house that has, like, golden spiral and stuff, where you can multiple reap in a turn. like the t- Like, pretty much if you have a dinosaur out, you're just not playing this card.
0: Yeah, it seems bad. I don't I can't really think of anything to argue with you on there. <laughs>
2: it's got me salty. So salty.
0: All right. Uh my number 3 worst design in World's Collide is Ragwarg. This is a Brobnar artifact that gives you an amber pip and says after a creature reaps, if it's the first time a creature's reaped this turn, deal 2 damage to it. I I went through the list. I read through all the World Collide card and I was, you know, logging what cards I thought were poor designs. And I I had a huge list of Brobnar creatures, of course. (laughs) And ultimately, when I was looking at that list and paring it down, I think this card to me is like the card that shows the most that the T Forge development and design team is just living on a different planet than the rest of us uh, when it comes to playing Brobnar. I see what they're trying to do, right? Like this is good in Brobnar because Brodnar has creatures that when they reap and take two damage it's not a big deal so like i guess you in in the best case scenario you play this and you reap and it's fine and then your opponent's like oh no all i have out is i don't even know what things that are gonna die john smith yeah only only john smith but it's like in reality it's just like this thing like it doesn't even stop like a Witch of the Eye it just does nothing. Like your opponent's gonna have at least one creature that it could reap with first that's not gonna kill it. Like just what how is this what Brobnar gets? Little damage that does nothing impactful whatsoever when like in the other houses they just seem like so okay with just doing more. Like Brobnar gets to do two damage and you know, untamed just gets to kill yeah. things outright. Like what is happening?
2: The only pro to it really is it's kinda like the whoops wall. Like Hadros' wall, where like an opponent just forgets about it. Yeah. So you kind of get them in that gotcha moment where they like reap with the creature and you're just like, it's dead. And they're like, wait, what? Uh,.
0: This thing. So the only Ragward. so the only pro is like sometimes it makes people have a really bad time yeah, <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> they right. forget it exists. Like if you remember it exists,
1: it never matters. I want to say one thing about this card. So what's so frustrating about Ragwart, right? Is it's actually close right. to being a really interesting card. If they had just dropped the the first creature part, and it was every creature that reaps takes two damage, actually becomes pretty interesting. But they chose not to do that. They've limited it so much that it just practically doesn't matter. Like, like you guys said, like unless you forget about ragwark, it it's functionally like doesn't matter in most games. Um, like, just has never had that much of an effect. Also, grotnar just doesn't have any benefit from being damaged, which is what I feel like. This hey, grand, this nine a, grand nine toes, grotnar nine Yeah, yeah <laughs> I mean. Not any good benefits. Like if this were a deck building game, you know what you would say about this card is, Hey, I think that if this card gets some support someday down the line, it will be good, but we can't really say that with keywords. (laughs) It's like, it just is bad.
0: All right, let's move on to number two and I'm going to go first. And I'm actually going to pass because my second worst design in all of World Collide actually comes up later on both of y'all's top (laughs) card lists. So let's argue about that when when it comes around Shake
2: the hater. All right, go for it, Alex. What's your number two? All
1: right. My number two is another procedural bane cards. (laughs) They are amber action destroy a certain trait creature. Uh, It's like demons, humans, scientists... Something, something, giants, thief, Yeah. doesn't and matter. And something else. There's, an, <laughs> there's another one. They're, 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 they're really amber. More. I mean, they're straight. they straight. It's like you're just getting an amber, like. 99% of the time, you're just getting an Ander. Occasionally, once in like a blue moon where you've sacrificed to a blood god, you get to kill a creature with this. And it's like, you when it happens, like I'll, often on TCO, I don't even, I like it kills something, and I'm like, what just happened? Why'd that die? And the person's like, oh, you played this Bane. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I forgot that, it does that. I thought it was just gaining and Amber. I didn't even dig <laughs> the text. Womp,
0: womp. One thing I'll say in its defense is uh, it's really good against auto legionnaire. So. Yes! <laughs> Kills <laughs> auto legionnaire so hard. Hard to disagree with there. Dan, what do you got?
2: I got for number two, trust no one. Like, this card never stole more than one. Ever. Like, your, your opponent, like, your board, if your board is empty, you're just losing when you're playing this card, most likely. Or, I mean, it's not even a great, I mean, I guess, best case scenario, you're playing against No, that still doesn't work. Never mind. I was trying to say maybe like Coda, they drop Dust Pixie turn one and you can steal two, but I don't even know if...
0: What's the tax times?
2: Ah, that's a great great (laughs) question. I was looking up Ragwarg because I didn't even know what that card was. I mean, I did, but I didn't. Trust no one. Play. Steal one, Amber. There are no friendly creatures in play. Instead, steal one for each house represented among enemy creatures to a maximum of three. Yeah, it's even worse. Like I didn't even realize that. I thought it was just however many creatures more they had than you, because you're still only stealing one in the first turn situation because there's only one house out. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. in a set that also has red alert, which just does damage based on how many more creatures your opponent has than you. Like, trust no one if it was like red alert, but steal and maybe put a max on it like max three. That's fine. Like, how do you even get over max three? I guess they were (laughs) were (laughs) trying not to punish your opponent too hard for playing the auto legionary.
0: oh That's like another good argument against like why legionary is like such a bad card design is like then they have to like design around it and the whole rest of the set
2: like if anybody actually got Trust no one off for three and then actually won the game put it in the discord
0: if you can get it for more than three just let them have it you know right how do you
2: I mean, yeah, the only other way is like maybe they lord invidious your dudes over. So I don't know. Like, I don't know. Call their subordination. Maybe they have four houses on the board and you have zero creatures. Like you're just losing. Like this card, just you're just stealing one. Which steal one is nice. Like that's fine. But the fact that that second sentence where it could potentially be better is just not not feasible. Yeah. (laughs) Not worth the effort it would take to actually get there.
0: All right. Uh, On to our number one, the worst designed card in World's collide, Number one, Nepeta Gigantica. <laughs> of course, everyone knew.
1: I, can't, I couldn't believe this wasn't on anyone else's <laughs> list. Uh, spoilers. I didn't know what it is. Uh, Nepeta Gigantica. Let me pull up the tech. I have to read this because I looked at it so little. <laughs> it is action. It's an untamed artifact. Action, stun a creature with power five or higher, or stun a giant creature. Guys, I mean, just Jeez. why? Why? Why doesn't it have an... Like, I have so many questions. Why doesn't it have an Amber Pit? Why is it so specific? <laughs> like, for such a mediocre effect. Like, it's like so... You know, it, it's like a hate card, but it's not even a good hate card. At least, like, take that smarty pants. You get to steal some Amber if it, if it happens to hit. And you always get one Amber. But it's like, Nepeta Gigantica, even the best case scenario... Where you actually stun a creature uh, is very, I mean, it's just like, okay, that's fine, I guess. Like, it's just, if I'm stunning something with this, it means they have Brabnar, which
0: means I'm probably okay. <laughs> uh, I think that's definitely a really good call. And like the design lesson there that I would take away from this if I was a designer of people, just like, Put hate cards in the set. Like, I think that's fine. I think that's interesting, but they have to be super impactful. You have to feel really good when you actually hit. And if you don't, then why?
1: Why make something so specific that's so bad?
2: Speaking of Robnar, my number one, Kalach Stonefather, six power creature, giant leader. While Kalach Stonefather is in the center of your battle line, wait for it, you've worked so hard, he's in the center of your battle line. Each friendly creature gains the ability of an uncommon untamed creature from the previous set. I mean each friendly creature gains skirmish and the untamed uncommon version you only have to have it on the right side <laughs> your right <laughs> flank
0: Q laughing and papaka or whatever
2: why oh, all the leaders are so cool and this guy is but yeah like in a house that's supposed to be like fighting like you work so hard to get this guy in the center of your battle line for skirmish which is already accomplished by a uncommon and it's not even that i mean skirmish is great like giving your entire battle line skirmish but this guy like compared to the other leaders like oh yuck yuck
0: and it, it's...
2: i just don't know i don't know like maybe give your <clears throat> entire battle line like assault two or something like that'd be cool right.
0: this is really... maybe
2: kind of Brobnar fighty but like just skirmish it's just something that another card at a lesser rarity does better easier Yeah. so it's silly this is such a hateful, it's just so hateful
0: bad. design i completely the really
2: sad thing here is like i'm actually looking at the art for the first time and the art's actually really cool <laughs> what great art for such a terrible card
0: all right so you guys ready for the actual worst design in oh all of world squad uh it is nothing else nothing other than the scrotum itself. <laughs> <laughs> it's Imperial Scutum. And this is a card that a lot of people probably like. It's I'm sure it's in a lot of people's favorite decks to play. It's an incredibly powerful effect, but I just think it's really problematic for the game. And the reason that I think that is. I think Exalt as a mechanic is so cool and has so much potential. I love the risk-reward aspect of it, like making tough decisions of like, should I, you know, exalt this creature for some effect with the potential that it's going to bite me later on? And like this card just existing in so many top-level decks at common just invalidates that, right? It takes a really interesting mechanic and turns it into one of like the most uninteresting right if you have two of these in your deck it just changes the calculus so much from like do i do this to like i just yes i just do this every single time with no fear whatsoever i tribute to my heart's content i exalt to my heart's content and it's not going to matter because i have this incredible safeguard that oh by the way it also gives me armor and amber i think it just is too perfect for what Saryan wants it's The antithesis to everything we've been talking about with like ragwarg and Brobnar cards being, you know, not quite good enough. This goes so far on the other side to be like so good, so perfect for executing the game plan that it just leaves me wondering why it exists and ultimately uh, ruins a super good thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely could have done without the armor is kind of the like it, this is good, let's make it better. Because that's what I always think about in design. It's like, is there a small change that could have made this card just like fine? I think they just underestimated how hard it's gonna be to remove because the problem really is how big Sarian creatures are, and then you add two armor, and then it and really it becomes like you have to remove the thing with scudum, but also it's so difficult to remove the thing with scudum sometimes. <laughs> And that's like, it it puts you in a really awkward spot where it's like, they've gotten so much extreme value out of one card. Um, I do want, I I am interested to know, and just real quick, Jake, what's a bigger problem, Perfectus Ludo or, or this
0: card? I think this is the bigger problem because it just has so many less answers to it.
2: Yeah, you can remove Ludo first and then take out the thing. Whereas this thing, you have to be able to bounce whatever creature it's sitting on.
0: And I will say, like, there are other cards that I think could fit in this slot that also show a problem in the design process around Exalt. Like, Questor Jarta is another good example of a bad design, in my opinion, because in that case, in basically every case, like, you always want to Exalt because it's just taking extra Amber now. Uh, rather than later and I think like exalt is a mechanic that's so interesting and has so much potential but a lot of the potential there has kind of been lost in the design process by making those questions too easy too much reward not enough risk and then all of that is compounded by scutum existing and being such a prominent part of the meta all right so there you have it our opinion the worst design cards in world's glide I'm sure there'll be a lot of people disagreeing uh, with us on this, so we would be really excited to hear people's thoughts in the Discord. But all right, let's you know, kind of do a quick break, take a deep breath, get all that toxic nastiness out of our bodies, and dive headfirst into the glorious, beautiful, pristine examples of delightful KeyForge design with our top five card.
1: Top five cards of Worlds
2: Collide in terms of design.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Alex, why don't you give us your first one?
1: All right. My number five best designed card. This almost made it higher on the list. I'm actually on the fence about where it ended up, but I really love it. Hunter or Hunted. I love this card. I love the art. I love the effect. So Hunter or Hunted, uh, one amber, uh, action, play, ward a creature, or move a ward from a creature to another creature. Um I like this action a lot. I think it's really really well balanced. It always does something. Um it and some and you have the option of it being an offensive or defensive tool. It's a really flexible card. Um I think that I think that this is the and where we talked about hate cards. I think that this is the sweet spot of hate cards. Like, I feel like this is what they should always aim for with hate cards because otherwise hate cards just feel so bad to get in your deck. Like, I never feel bad about getting Hunter or Hunted in my deck, even if my opponent doesn't have wards because I can always at least ward my creature, but sometimes I get a huge benefit of like, I get to not only get a ward on my creature, but I get to take one off of another. Um, So I think that that double, that double kind of effect being present um, is what they should shoot for. And I would love to see more of this type of like, in that very like center spot of hate. (laughs)
0: I think we could do a whole episode on hate cards, and maybe we should. Probably. Because I think so. it'd be really mm-hmm. interesting. Because I don't necessarily agree with you there, but I don't. I don't know if we have time to get into like a whole long discussion. So maybe we should table that and and, and put it in the backlog for a future discussion.
2: Yeah, the only downside of that card and the card I'm about to reveal is it's in uh, Worlds Collide Shadows, which was kind of a womp womp <laughs> kind of house for Worlds Collide. You weren't super excited to have it, but if your other two uh, two houses were good, then it was. You know, it was okay. You could you could probably get by with it, um, but yeah, my number five was Hawk. So you get an amber pit for playing it. Action play destroy an artifact. If you do, gain one amber. So technically getting two amber for artifact destruction, which feels amazing, and it's at the common rarity, and that's mainly the reason I have it on here. Um, artifacts are like they're running pretty rampant in Keyforge. Like most decks have you know, one to three and maybe like one to two high-impact artifacts that if you could remove them, makes your life a whole lot easier on the other side of the table. And I feel like before Worlds Collide, I mean, there's just, there are very limited answers to artifacts. And so seeing one get printed at the common Rarity made me very excited at the outset of the set. And I do have a deck that is one of my better ones that does have three Hawks in it and a way to pretty much uh, archive the entire Shadow's house to then only pull said Hawks when you want to burst and win. (laughs) So yeah, Hawk. I like Hawk, just artifact removal is needed. And they gave it to us at Common. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I think that's really smart pointing out Like how important it is, the fact that that's at the common rarity as opposed to
2: uncommon and rare.
0: Like we saw in Coda. I wonder if Poltergeist was a common. Maybe we would never would have had to ban lands in the first place. Okay. Uh, My number five favorite design is... I'm going to put a little asterisk here because I don't think this card is good. And I don't even think it's a great design. But I think there is serious potential here that I want to highlight. On this platform that it is. And and this card is a card I did not even know existed until I was reading through the list of World's Glide cards this afternoon. And it is a Brobnar rare called Nogi Smart Fist. And this is a five power creature that has the ability to fight, draw two cards, discard two random cards from your hand. And the reason I want to single this card out is because I think that in this card, there is the potential for something that could make the Brobnar house much more interesting in the future. And I would love it if this kind of reckless looting became a part of their design. And I think it totally makes sense thematically. Like your picture, like big giants, like tearing through a library, just like grabbing whatever they can, you know, like a Brobnar action that was like draw three, discard two cards from your hand would be something that would really fit thematically with what they're doing, right? Because it's not logos. They're not like carefully archiving what they draw. They're just grabbing whatever they can and getting out of there. I think it makes sense thematically. And I think like this draw and discard could be something that could make Brovnar a super interesting, exciting house in the future. So I hope they kind of incorporate this in future Brovnar designs. What do you guys think about that?
1: I'm really a fan of Nagi's Smart Fist. I've always liked that card and was sad. I mean, it's just sad that it got relegated to never being played because of the house it's in. Uh, it's it's a cool it's a cool card, uh, and it's rare, yeah. So, guys, this effect at common would not have been broken at all. Since it's,
2: Yeah, since it's completely random. Like, if it was rare, like, you would think maybe it would be, like, discard two cards, draw two cards, or draw two and then just discard two. I mean, like, Tau Tau, Va- Tau, Tau Vapors is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you get to choose <laughs> Igor is a thing where you get to choose yeah. like all these like commons that you can choose
0: an action that gives you an amber that says draw to discard to and Brabnar at common would have done so much
2: Yeah, hey, you could have discarded most of your Brobnar on your Brobnar turns
0: <laughs> uh, maybe in the future we'll see that all right i'm just gonna go straight on number four the number four best design in worlds collide is the evil eye. It's a disaction. It gives you an amber and it makes your opponent's key cost increase by three this turn. I really like this card. I think it, for me, it strikes a great balance uh, for what I like in terms of interaction and key forge. It's not overly complex. The effect is really simple and it creates tons of interesting tension in your hand, right? Do you play this just for the amber when your opponent's Below, do you save it and use it as a miasma, or can you even work to craft a game state in which your opponent has nine amber or more, and, and all of a sudden now you're actually uh, using it to destroy three amber, which is incredibly powerful. I think that is really interesting and really cool, and sort of the way that I think that increasing key cost should be done in the future, making it much more dynamic than just stagnant effects. So that's why I like Evil Eye. The lash action, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like the, the lash to me is a lot less interesting because it just sits out there. You just wait for the perfect moment. Like this creates tension in your hand about playing it uh, versus holding it, which I think is is uh, is Keyforge at its best. Yep. All right. I
2: okay. agree. I like that card. I'll go. My number four is pretty much all the leaders, but the Brobnar leader. like just the leaders in general are super fun like other than the Robnard leader um all of them like if you get them in the center of your board like they're a turn one play they feel so good except for the Robnard leader um (laughs) like zenzi plus two hand size like like i discard creatures to keep that guy in the middle like it's just worth it like it's worth not playing a creature to get a lot of these people's effects like val getting to play an out of house card that turn and that out of house could be star alliance you could call not star alliance and still get her effects same with zensi as long as he's in the middle you're getting his effect eldest bear is kind of on the kind of yeah but at least he gains you two when he fights and he's got assault too like being in the center so i mean you get a fight and gain two with his assault like he can just take care of problem creatures and it still doesn't feel terrible um lord of videos is just gross i mean stealing somebody's creature you drop that guy turn one like what is your what does your opponent do on their turn one like (laughs) you almost can't play creatures because you're like well he's just gonna steal it and he's elusive like oh all except for the Brobnark leader so all the leaders i really enjoyed them they made some really interesting decision points as far as you know when to play a creature when to discard a creature the the saurian one where you actually got to search your deck for a saurian card oh so good service rex so good and then you yeah just it was cool. I really liked all the leaders, except the Robnar one.
0: Lord Invidious is my favorite. That's probably my number six. That just didn't make the list, but <laughs> definitely honorable men for me. So thematic, such a fun card. Yeah,
2: it's real good. Real good. All right, Alex, your number four.
0: My
1: number four is Snag. He is a disc creature, five strength fight your opponent must choose house of the creature snag fights as their active house on the next turn okay so the reason i chose snag and the reason i put it here is because control the week existed in coda and was just so broken and it was so good like it's so unnecessarily good like to the point of you're like this card could have not had an amber pip and it still would have been one of the most played cards probably in the entire set right it's just like the effect is that powerful. So I feel like what they did was go, we like that this exists, but we want it to be more uh, fair. They matured. <laughs> I feel like the, the design. Yeah. We want it to be more fair. We, they, so they matured as designers and the effect matured as the game has existed. And I think that's why I chose it. Cause it just shows there is some thought happening on like, okay, clearly <laughs> we went a little bit overboard with this effect. So let's tailor it back because You know, Snag is still a good card, but it's a lot more specific. And you have, as an opponent, you actually do have some recourse to playing around it, dealing with it. You can trade in your own creatures so Snag can't force you into a house. You can choose to not play creatures. Like, you have options, right? Whereas Control the Weak, if they just hit the right... House, you're just like sad. You're just like I can't do. There's and they've. We- I think we've probably all lost games to control the week where you're like, I had zero control over uh, whether I I won or lost this game because I was too weak. And pe- a lot of people have made that. I've heard this is. I'm getting. I won't get into that too much. About- too much about control the week, but suffice to say, I think people who say that you can play around it are misguided. Uh- <laughs> i don't I don't know how much you can really play around that card you can't play around it so much as you can
2: be aware that it exists you
1: can choose to lose a different <laughs> way that's
2: basically <laughs> you can choose to try to always have two two two
0: hands
2: yeah all right, me and Jake at the same time for our number three
0: we got a, a crossover we got the same thing in the same spot
2: number three calm Officer Kirby this dude is cool and not only is this dude cool, but I just want to say the play fight reap things that came up in uh, world's collide are amazing like having that much versatility to actually use the actions on said creatures and the play fight reap creatures like across pretty much every creature that has play fight reap just feels so good it gives you so much i just so many options like when you it's just so good but yeah kirby in general says you may play a non-star alliance artifact upgrade or action card this turn this guy's just nuts. Like he's just so good. He allows you to cycle through your hands so fast. if you've got a deck that has like a house that you're just like not excited about, but that house has a lot of good actions, uh, like shadows. Um this guy is amazing. like he he can play those like kind of okay shadows action cards on a non-shadows turn and feel really good about yourself not having to call shadows to actually play those cards and vice versa.
0: Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying, Dan. And I mean this card is super good, maybe a little bit too high up on the power curve, but like I'm able to forgive it just because it's the best like introduction to a new house, right? It's like this is what Star Alliance is all about. It's all about like helping your other houses. It's got this really cool play fight reaping. The art is fun and inviting. Uh, and I just think it's to me, this is the quintessential Star Alliance card that we're introduced to. And he's a common. In Worldwide. <laughs> it's a common. So you get to play with it a lot. It's always fun to play. You get lots of interesting choices when you play it. I think this is just like a great and fun design and makes me excited about star alliance in the future
2: all right what do you got alex for your number three
1: number three is golden spiral sorry an artifact action exalt a friendly creature ready and use that creature you know talking about the risk reward things and maybe you guys will disagree with me i don't know um i i actually feel like golden spiral is at least closer to where we would want that risk reward to be it is a good effect and it's probably one that you will you almost use every single time but i do think that there are times where even though you uh, you tend to use it all the time where it's actually correct possibly to consider not using it it's probably always i don't know i, I just like it i'll say that i don't know how fair it is i'm th- as i'm thinking about it like i don't know how fair it is but not every card has to be fair there needs to be some unfair cards and i feel like This kind of helps Saurians exist on a competitive level. They would still be good without Golden Spiral, but Golden Spiral just allows some of the more combo-y things to exist. And I think that that's not an unhealthy thing for the
0: game. I like this card. I think you're probably right that there's very rarely times that you don't choose to use it, but there are drawbacks, like the fact that it's an artifact and you have to wait a turn to use it. You have to have other things out to use it with. And I like the fact that it creates like a really open decision space, right? It gives you lots of options. Uh, Which card do I want to use? Do I want to fight with it? Do I want to reap with it? And I think that's all super fun. So I don't want to come across as like, I don't think good cards should exist. I think this one is, is, is one that's definitely a super strong card, but it's fun and it's like strong in the right ways.
2: Yep. All right, uh, Jake, do your number two because my number two is the huge crossover. We'll probably
0: finish on that one. Okay. Uh, number two for me is Fangtooth Cavern. And this is a little bit biased because my favorite deck is a double Fangtooth Cavern deck uh, that I just love to play. I play it unlike any other deck that I have. And that's thanks to this card, uh, which is an artifact that does fundamentally change the way the game is played. Uh, however,
2: do you want to tell our audience what
0: it does? Oh yeah, I do. It's an artifact in Untamed that gives it one amber and it says at the end of your turn as the active player, you get to destroy the least powerful creature. So that's a really powerful effect. And especially in multiples can really create game states where it's hard to have creatures stick on the board. But I personally feel like unlike like this does allow for much more counterplay it's not just going to shut off all your creatures all at once and you could try to you know build up big hands and play a lot of creatures at once typically you're not having all your creatures destroyed at the same time so i think there is some counterplay but at the same time it does create an interesting texture to the game and it is impactful so to me like this card represents good good design where rag and Stone are too far the other way, either in like way too impactful and fundamentally changing the game in Stone, or doing literally nothing in Ragward.
2: Yep. I like Fangtooth.
0: Yeah, I like Fangtooth. I think Fangtooth is interesting and
1: it creates, like you said, I think it creates dynamic gameplay um, where I have to, both players are actually having to, no matter what our deck, Fangtooth, maybe, de- maybe you chose your deck and maybe you're like, you know, you've tried to choose a deck Where you get maximum value off of Fangtooth as much as possible, but even in that case, I don't necessarily have to be completely wrecked by it every single time. Even if my, if even if I am a creature-heavy deck, or even if I'm a deck with low power level, because I know what it's going to hit, and I know that it's going to hit every turn, so I can kind of make some choices around that and kind of
0: try to to give you some, make it a little bit harder on you. This is the deck I'm talking about is like a 62 SAS deck. So I just love it. It's not like OP, but watch out in low SAS tournaments because I'm coming for you guys.
2: <laughs> Alex is number two.
1: My number two
0: is EE
1: on the fringes. EE on the fringes is a one-strength disc creature. He's elusive. Uh, during your turn, after you discard a discard. From your hand, you may purge a discard from a discard pile. If you do, steal one. That was a lot of discard. Uh, uh, and flavor text... A, it has some of the best flavor text in the game. Discordant, disturbing, disgusting. Primo. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but also I'll, also, I'll be honest. Mostly I hate steal effects because steal is so strong. And I think that... They never, they never seem to quite hit the the sweet spot with steel effects, in my opinion. Uh, and the, I think the, the mechanic is just problematic for some reasons. Uh, it just make steel existing just makes all other mechanics inherently worse. Uh, but saying that, um, it does. I mean, capture, capture and losing is just so much worse than stealing. Uh, but I think that it's going to exist, and if it's going to exist. Um, I think that EE e. on the fringes is a lot more how you want to do it because EE e. on the fringes requires planning. It requires it requires forethought. I have to think: is it worth it to purge a card? Um, you know, you get some extra benefit if your opponent is playing diss, um, which is kind of like it has. So it has a little bit of a hate a hate thing going on. I just think that that's really smart. Like you have to you have to try. To make EE e. on fringes good, but if you can set it up well, it can be super broken, which is I think a good spot for an effect like this to be. Compare this to Urchin and Urch. Like even though EE e. can steal more, Urchin is just so much more debilitating because it's so easy to use. You have to require zero forethought. I just jam it down. It does its thing, and we're done. Right? Yeah, and he has um, the
2: added benefit of hitting your opponent's discards, which is really good. With dis having
1: exhum and
2: not finished with you to bring stuff back and Arise if you're playing against Decks. Just purging their stuff so they can't bring it back is so good. So very, very good.
0: Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. Lots of cool plays with it. Multiple ways you can use it to your benefit. It's a really cool card. Super strong, but fun. And uh, that's what it's all about. All right, so let's just set the stage. Like Your number two is comes up as Alex's number one and my number two worst card
2: yeah we'll save that for the very end yep
0: so we'll go skip straight to my number one card which is lay of the land it's the star alliance action where you get to look at the top three cards uh put them back in any order and draw a card and then you also gain an amber i just think this card is so fun like every time i play it it makes me happy i get to look at my cards that's fun I get to draw a card. I get to set things up. I mean, I'm probably going to get to play that card I drew. I don't think the card is broken, but it's like super strong. It's going to make every deck that it's in better. I think it's really thematic with Star Alliance.
2: Makes me feel like I'm playing Magic in like the early 2010s with Jace the Mind Sculptor.
0: Yeah. And I just... (laughs) Brainstorm. I just like this kind of effect. Deck manipulation, I think, is really interesting and fun. It, it rewards skill in terms of like knowing what's in your deck, what the percentages are of drawing X. Can I play to my out? Do I play this this turn? Or do I you know, play two cards to give me a better shot at getting the one thing I need? Sets up lots of interesting plays. And I hope that this type of design, like, like I'm talking about with like, the reckless looting for Bravnar or something, I want to see card draw incorporated in all of the houses in in a way that seems fitting to that house. And I like that Star Alliance is getting that in terms of like reordering deck, like looking ahead and scouting. It makes sense to me thematically. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I hope they yeah. find more ways to do that rather than just having Logos forever being. Logos is the house that draws cards, which is like, that's awesome for Logos. I love Logos. It's my favorite house, but it'd be cool if like, I liked some of the other houses as much, too.
2: <laughs> yep. No, I like Play of The only time I really played it was when we did Burnside's deck for the uh, <laughs> Let's Play. But yeah, it's a very cool card. All right, my number one best design card is Obsidian Forge. This was in one of the first decks that I really, really enjoyed playing, so maybe that's why it kind of sticks out to me, but it is a Dis Artifact with a Pip of Amber action destroy any number of friendly creatures you may forge a key at plus six current costs reduced by one for each creature destroyed this way if you forge a key this way destroy obsidian forge so yeah this is like a super super cool key cheat it is so disoriented to the fact that you have to sacrifice creatures to kind of add to your amber pool in order to pull it off so you're i mean base base level you're forging for six um six amber plus the six from this so you have to get to 12 amber so if you have six amber in your pool and six creatures boom call this action sacrifice them win the game feel really good about yourself um, other uses it has is just if you have destroyed effects you want to pop i mean if you're like weird and want to pop yuck on a dis turn i guess you could pop yuck on a dis turn that'd be really weird but I mean, a better example would be like playing a Harbinger of Doom and then just using it as a board wipe by just using your Obsidian Forge then to pop the Harbinger and then, you know, play creatures afterwards with no chains gained, kind of like gateway to dis, you know, two card gateway to dis with no chain. But yeah, I just, I really like this card. Like this card in one of the decks I played a lot at the very beginning of Worlds Collide was kind of my like third key pretty much every game. I was pretty much able to, the games I won, I was establishing a board that couldn't really be removed and then obsidian forging for the third key at like four amber because i had like eight creatures out like just something silly like that and it's just it's it's a cool way to play like if you're playing against it too it's something you always have to kind of be aware of like you have to if you see the obsidian forge in their deck you have to look for that harbinger of doom right away too to know if they have that combo set up or not and just know that yeah at any time that they have a big board a lot of creatures that you may need to forgo reaping for a turn just to make sure you get rid of that unless you have artifact removal like a friendly hawk maybe you don't have to worry about it as much but yeah i just think it's a really well designed card it's a really cool key cheat and i think it really fits the flavor of this
0: yeah i think it's a great one to point out and key cheats are definitely something i think the design team has had a little bit of trouble with uh like data forge it's like you know and key of darkness comes to mind as ones that like almost never ever hit uh, and then, of course, like don't
2: tell Alex, DataForge never hits <laughs> <laughs>
0: And of course, key charge on the other side is like just so easy. I think it's cool. like they made it so thematic. makes you care about the board too, which is always appreciated. Yes,
1: yeah, all all of a sudden any bum creature can is worth a one amber towards the key and that that matters. Um, so yeah, it's
0: a it's a cool card. So it's time to get into this final discussion so this is dan's number two favorite alex's number one and my second least favorite so alex i wonder how many people know what we're talking about already but alex why don't you introduce this card and tell us why it's the best design card in worlds collide
1: all right so it is a logos creature it is edi edi eddy four by four uh he is an ai scientist He, he has a play effect archive a card he has an effect which is your opponent's keys cost plus one for each card in your archive. I love this card. So I like it for a lot of reasons. I like that it's common. I actually think it's good that it's common. I like that it has a effect which you can make use of, but you kind of have to try to make use of. I think the static effect of Edi 4x4 creates dynamic decision points for both players. Your opponent has to think about, do I remove this now? Is it something that really matters? Can I afford to ignore it? And you always get a small benefit from it. You always get to at least archive one card so you can always make your opponent's keys cost plus one. Um, there are edge cases, uh, like 1% decks. We're thinking of a, a like Dave Cordero's, uh, five times edi deck that has like two or three exhumes, where it becomes probably insanely broken. Um, but I actually think that that's not most of the time with this deck. I think in the majority of decks, it's good. It's just good. Um, but it can have that. It has the ability to become really, really good. Like I even have my one of my favorite decks, and uh, maybe why it's at the top of my list is because one of my favorite decks has it in it. It's also my deck where I data, get to data forge. So I get to have both stall with AI and build up my archives for my future data forging. And, and it just seems like a fun, it's a fun thematic card that I think does something good
2: that was kind of my fun like the same obsidian Forge deck had an edi and a bunch of ways to make the archives big and that was kind of our first play into worlds collide seeing how high you could make key costs go and edi was a big part of that because that one also had universal key lock so i could have a universal key lock and an edi out with like four cards in the bin to make you know opponent keys cost so you're four four nine thirteen thirteen amber for a key felt pretty pretty good
0: Cool. Well, you guys are wrong. This card's actually a terrible design. No, I completely see where you're coming from, and I can't deny that this is an incredibly good card and a really fun card to play. However, the reason I think it's problematic for the game is the same reason I think uh, Scootum is bad for the game, which is that it just is like too perfectly tailored to what Logos wants to do, right? Like Logos is already liking the archive and already trying to find ways to archive cards. There's already cards that archive. So this is making your archives better. Of course, it's archiving a card itself. And it's all of a sudden also one of the best Key cost increasers in the game. And and I mean, I agree that it does sometimes create interesting decision points, but it's not dynamic in the way that the evil eye is, right? Because here you're just putting it out there and then it, it you don't care about it anymore. You're forcing your opponent to deal with it. Of course, not to mention like one of the best taunt creatures is also in Logos, Titan Guardian at Common. <laughs> so like you could stick that right next to it. Titan Guardian is so good.
2: <laughs> Hologramophone. boarded it up.
0: So like, I think, I think that is my problem with it is that it just is lab created to be like the perfect Logos common.
2: And that's why we have it at the top of our list.
0: <laughs> a lot of time it feels
1: like uh, 4x4 ends up being like a constructed, almost like a constructed effect because you, it, like you said, it's so synergistic with what Logos is trying to do as a whole. Um, or even... It just fits, and I mean, I will, so big picture, I'll argue this is why Logos has been the most consistently good amongst all sets, is I think the problem is not eye, I think the problem is that they've centered one of the best mechanics around a house, and that that actually is what ends up being the problem. And here's the other thing about Edai is what I'll say, because uh, I actually see your point, Jake. I see what, what you feel about, and even what you're saying about Scudum. But I think the problem is not the effects, as it is that they're not printing answers to certain things. So there's very little archive hate, and there's very little upgrade hate. There's just not a lot of things that interact with those things. Very narrowly bounce effects uh, affect upgrades, but there's almost... There's Desania,
0: Tentadlin... Is that it? That affects archives? Let's not pretend T like some kind of good ed eye answer. <laughs> no. <laughs> T-
1: you're you're sad if you're trying to use Tintadlin <laughs> to answer your, your opponent's ed eye. Uh because hey, you have Tintadlins in your deck.
0: And your opponent has Ed eyes.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't know. Tintadlin in World's Clyde is better because of uh the spirit one, the Reap for two.
1: Uh
0: Wild yeah. Spirit. They
2: actually have a dude on the board for that when you play Fair.
0: it. Yeah, I mean, I I hear what you're saying, Alex, and like I think to some extent this might come down to like a, a larger philosophical difference about like the game, and like I think for me, like I think the game is perhaps best when you're playing lower power decks against other lower power decks that have cards in them that don't work perfectly, that aren't good, and you're having to make tough calls about what to play and what to discard, and I think when the game Becomes super high level Keyforge where everybody's playing, you know, 80 plus SAS decks. And, and these decks are all just like perfectly tailored machines where every card synergizes with each other. Uh, I, I think the gameplay, at least to me in my personal taste, becomes a lot less interesting when it's just, I'm just going to execute my game plan that's very difficult to interact with and the opponent's going to do the exact same thing and you're just going to slam into each other and see what happens. And I think a lot of times there's less interesting and rich interaction there than actually you get in lower powered game. So, you know, you could say it's not really the card itself that's problematic, but like to me, I see Edai along with Skedum as being like two of the cards that make already powerful houses just being the key piece that make them like that much more broken and at common that make yeah. them that much more likely yeah. to get that perfect set of synergistic cards that I personally don't find super enjoyable. So that that's kind of my last take on it. But obviously I'm outnumbered here. At least you didn't get elusive or anything
2: like common elusive. <laughs> like
0: don't give me any ideas. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> but I would be super interested to hear what other people think in our Discord or in the reply, wherever you're listening to this, because I'd love to hear where other people weigh in both on this card, whether they like Edai or don't like it as a design, and also I'd be super interested to hear what people' personal favorite five designs and five least favorite designs are. So let us know and like let's let's continue this yeah. conversation.
2: Sky Jedi is on the good side of EdI being on top already. We put a little teaser in our discord so skyjet all right so attaboy.
0: three against one if you're on my side really what i'm saying is if, <laughs> if anyone out there agrees with me like please let me know somebody back up Jake. <laughs> no okay but anyway so that's it we've been recording for an hour Did anyone want to do a final send-off
2: just again i, I really like the world's Clyde where the meta kind of shook out i felt like when it was coda aoa like aoa decks just weren't efficient enough to keep up with Coda, but with Worlds Collide decks in the meta, some of those like super super Amber efficient decks got knocked down a bunch. So then all of a sudden the AOA board strategies kind of actually aligned well with the Worlds Collide board strategy So the AOA decks, um, yeah, kind of rose again. And I enjoyed that about the meta, everything, and even like Coda decks that you weren't playing a whole lot because they weren't efficient enough to compete in the Coda meta, all of a sudden became viable decks because it's it just all slowed down a little bit so yeah thank you worlds collide
0: uh yep i mean for me maybe my least favorite set of the three. But... Oh, hey me too <laughs> it'll be interesting to see though because i would have said at the beginning of worlds collide that aoa was my least favorite and it'll be interesting to see if maybe mass mutation coming in two days uh changes my estimation of worlds collide as it shakes up the meta uh, as Worlds Collide did with the set before it, so lots of exciting play left in these decks, of course. Yeah. Uh, so this is not the end of Worlds Collide, but merely the beginning of a new meta.
1: Yeah, I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm for one, I'm with you, Jake. I'm actually, even though I liked a lot of Worlds Collide, I'm actually glad to see the introduction of a new set. I found the meta that Worlds Collide created to just be fairly uninteresting mostly because it was like code you know it's like back to Coda days where certain house combinations were just so dominant that you just it starts to feel real samey you know everything all the decks that i see here have like these same four or five cards and if you don't have if, if those four or five cards aren't in your deck it's just not like just legit probably not viable and that's like <coughs> and I <coughs> oh,
0: Imperial Scudo. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah I mean you're not wrong so I see that's why I see what you're saying about it and I think again what comes down to me and why I'm very hopeful for mass mutations is it seems like mass mutations the power is less centered in certain houses even I've come around and I'll say this I have to say this before I get <laughs> like blasted on the discord anymore um, I was wrong I was wrong about shadows I was wrong A thousand a thousand apologies to the world. Uh you know, it's hard. The thing that I assumed is that mass mutations would play like World's Collide, and I don't really think it does. It still remains to be seen exactly what the best of mass mutations will be, but I don't think it's gonna play exactly like World's Collide did. That's it. That's for it for me. And Rand.
0: Well, more on that to come surely in the coming weeks. Uh, until next time, this is Jake. You can find me on Twitter at Jake Free. That's J-A-K-E-F-R-Y-D. Hey, you can find me. I'm Dan is Someone, D-A-N-I-S-S-O-M-E-1.
2: Um, on Twitter, Twitch, not so much on Twitch. My computer is dying a slow and agonizing death. Need an upgrade. But uh, yeah, Twitter. Twitter's a thing. Twitter and Discord. Alex.
1: I am Alex, the Nick of Slot Slotnick. You can find me on Discord as Nick of Slots, hashtag 6418, uh, or on Twitter, uh, which I, I'm hitting up more these days as the Nick of Slots.
2: Alright, see you all next week. Archons of the Crucible. Worlds Collide has gone. The world is shambles. Everything is being mutated. Are you prepared for the mass mutations while forging those keys?